0: On the Empire Podcast this week, we talk mobsters with Stephen Graham, one of the stars of Martin Scorsese's roller coaster ride through American history, The Irishman.
1: Marty went, right, okay, so, uh, well, do you want to do this, kid? I was like, yeah, (laughs) of
0: course I do, yeah. And we brave the master of disaster, Roland Emmerich, as he returns with World War II drama Midway.
2: I'm always drawn to kind of uh, bigger canvases, you know, um, lots of uh, characters.
0: All this and the usual movie news, views and nonsense on the only movie podcast that considered reanimating James Dean to co-host today, but decided that that would be a fucking dreadful idea. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Your usual host, Chris Hewitt, is off on a well-earned staycation this week in glamorous London. So I've stepped into the hosting hot seat and found it honestly unpleasantly warm, as if someone's just left. But I'm joined anyway by not two, not three, but one colleague of such lethal cunning in the shape of West Wing stand, James Dyer. Which is nice, I guess. Hello, James. I am
3: entirely devoid of cunning this week, because... (laughs) I'm not sure how how useful I'm going to be, having seen absolutely none of the films out this week. Though I do have a very good excuse. So really? my absence for the last two podcasts was largely down to the fact I was trying to do interviews and write the cover feature for the new issue, which goes to press next week. I will not say what that is, but people no. will find out very, very soon. And so I've been sort of in interviewing, writing, travelling hell as I get all this sort of done but as a result of that I also haven't seen any of the fucking films so I'm just going to be like oh so Helen tell me about The Irishman is it very Irish? <laughs> did you enjoy that? Spoiler not Irish enough wow. but
0: um, luckily for the listeners we have actually drafted in yes. help uh, Nick people who watch films <laughs> Nick De Semblan's going to join us a little bit later to talk about some of the films in review yes. and I've seen some so at least we're, mm. we're and Nick basically
3: covered. made The Irishman so. he
0: basically did he, mm. he covered that so extensively and of course you should have read all of it. I've MP tried to Maxine. have
3: balance. You know, what I mean, like, I couldn't see Scorsese's The Irishman, so I rewatched Captain Marvel instead because I think that's what Marty would have wanted.
0: Well, <laughs> let's hope so. Uh, it's it's been a busy week. I think it's fair to say, and that's fine. And we're just going to power through as best we can mm. and deal with it I
3: anyway. I haven't even watched all the shows for Pilot, but don't tell anyone.
0: I'm pretty sure nobody heard that. I think it'll be <laughs> fine. Um, but Keith will obviously be very upset. Shall we have a question?
3: Please don't make it about films. Uh, yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs>
0: Okay, this is a question that actually Chris really wanted us to talk about. And I feel like it might be quite hard, but we're going to try it anyway. So, at handlemoth says, in honour of Criterion releasing the full 287-minute version of Until the End of the World, what is the longest movie that you enjoy or at least admire? Now, that's a pretty good question, given that this week's obviously The Irishman. Clocks in at, what is it, 214 minutes or so? Yeah, it's long. It's long. I've heard,
3: having not actually watched it.
0: (laughs) Thanks, James. It's this kind of expert commentary (laughs) that people come to Empire for. But yeah, longest movie that you enjoy or at least admire. I mean, I've done you know the lord of the rings extended cuts so those are pretty hefty.
3: i mean that that's that's the fallback isn't it cuz i was going to say like so the dances with wolves director's cut is pretty fucking long that's you know long, that's yeah. that's a long one but i don't know that it beats out the extended editions but lord of the rings ones i feel are they're films that don't feel long with the exception mm. of Return of the King of those three films that's the only one I wouldn't recommend the extended
0: hey that edition. is the best picture winner dude but
3: it's just like because then the ending, <laughs> the endings begin with literally an hour to go and you're just yeah. like this is just too much
0: something's gone wrong something's
3: here. gone horribly <laughs> wrong when the film finishes an hour before it finishes
0: but that's with them actually cutting out an entire chunk of the ending yeah. and not doing the scourging of the shire which thematically I know I've said this before is a super good idea because otherwise you've got the hobbits coming home and finding the everything has also changed whereas this way you've got the hobbits coming home and finding that the shire hasn't changed but they have and yeah, that's why Frodo that's... then can't settle and yes. it makes a lot more sense but yeah the book does kind of the same thing like the, the end of Return of the King happens about halfway through Return of the King mm. and then has all of that left to go Not
3: one for structural Tolkien was he?
0: Well he had his own rules I guess <laughs> um, he was very into language structure obviously that he, was the whole point
3: Yeah he loved a song
0: He did love a song and a poem
3: But what are, what are the long ones? I mean I've never sat through all 12 hours of Showa um, mm. I feel that would probably feel long.
0: <laughs> it's one of those ones. sometimes you feel like certain movies are almost a penance. It's like, I haven't been through this incredibly awful experience, but I feel like I owe it. I, w- I owe
3: it to them to sit through to this sit 12-hour through documentary. This documentary.
0: Yes. And, I mean, and that sounds very flippant of me and I don't intend it as such, but it, it almost is a way of paying some kind of respect to those who went through real hardship.
3: Well, I now feel terrible.
0: Yeah, sorry about that, James.
3: But also, (laughs) Um, you are terrible. Thank you. Thank you.
0: But yeah, there's. I've watched things that have then been chopped up into sort of, you know, the TV episode kind of things. You know, the sort of dust boots, long version, but then cut into chunks. I haven't, I'll be honest, sat through it all in one go. The Ken Burns Vietnam documentary as well, same thing. I didn't. I didn't do that all at once. I kind of treated it like a TV show.
3: Nine hours and 26 minutes, Shah. Sorry, not 12. That was oh, me exaggerating. Nine hours and 26 human. minutes. Uh, God, yeah. I was looking, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the longest films. And the longest is Amra Ekta Cinema Banabo, brackets The Innocents, which clocks in at 21 hours and five minutes.
0: I'll be honest, I've missed that one. I probably won't catch up on it anytime soon.
3: 21 hours and five minutes, and I reckon it probably goes by faster than Ad Astra.
0: (laughs) Hey, Ad Astra has made my top ten of the year list. Oh, did it? Yes.
3: Really? 100%. So we had to hand these in today, our top tens of the year list. They are completely anonymous, so so the fact that I haven't seen The Irishman yet will never be known, except I've just said it. But yeah, so that was was an interesting exercise, because this year has been... A surprising year mm. in the big films, like Endgame, whatnot, but also lots of really nice, awesome little films yeah. that you get properly excited about that actually you think, Do you know what? I want this at the top of my list. You know, <coughs> Booksmart. Um yes. Which no one went to see for shame mm-hmm. because it's fabulous.
0: It's amazing. I'll be honest, the top four on my list are completely interchangeable. I went with an order. <laughs> they could be in any order and I would be totally happy. They're essentially a joint first.
3: Ooh. Well, um, I can guess two of them, definitely. Yes, yeah, you can. Hmm, the other two. That's
0: mm. One of them I think you haven't seen yet, so... That, that, it's not the Irishman. It doesn't
3: really narrow it down, does it,
0: <laughs> Anyway, we're spoiling yes, the Review of the are, Year podcast yeah. here. So come we're back not,
3: later for Review of the Year yeah. and we'll talk about this properly. We
0: always we always put that up between yes. Christmas and New Year. You should definitely come back for that. I
3: promise to have seen some films before we do Review of the Year. <laughs> I honestly will.
0: While I'm talking about special episodes of the podcast, just very quickly, let me remind you that a bunch of our spoiler specials have gone live. The Joker special, which somehow got through the system without me in it, is up and there for your listening pleasure now. We also have great spoiler specials from all through the summer, about 16 bajillion for Endgame alone. We have a fantastic yesterday spoiler special with Richard Curtis talking about that film. We have... Kind of the plethora, an mm. absolute gamut of uh even specials more for you that, to listen to. Here's yes? a
3: public service announcement. Uh-oh. We migrated, this is very exciting technical announcement, we migrated to a new podcast hosting platform. But a happy side effect of this seems, seems, seems heavily emphasis on the seams, seems to be that all of the legacy podcasts, which have hitherto been unavailable because they dropped off the feed, have returned. hurrah! So you can go all the way back, I think, now to episode one, but it means all of our historical spoiler specials are now available again.
0: And you can find out that we spent about 20 minutes on The Winter Soldier. (laughs) Yeah. So that's pretty special. If you think that James Means the legacy specials of the Marvel Phase 1 movies that we recorded, he doesn't. Those still haven't been edited and still aren't (laughs) up. But you know what? This is a time of optimism. This is a time for hope. And I believe that one day... Chris will find time.
3: I'm going to I'm gonna try and make... We were talking about this. I'm trying to make Chris... We've, we may or may not have a ranking for the greatest Star Wars movies and we may or may not have done it when Solo came out and it still isn't ready. But we're thinking maybe... And I was resisting this, but Chris has maybe convinced me that we don't put it up and instead we wait until Rise of Skywalker and then oh, we man. do it then. What? So that we can place Rise of Skywalker in the list. So maybe that ranking won't go up and we'll do an all-new Star Wars ranking when we've got... I mean, maybe. All nine core films.
0: Um... I'm just looking through the the same list of longest films you did to get back to the question for a second. (laughs) Oh, yes, we had a question. We did have a question. OJ Made in America, I thought that was terrific, and I watched all of that in pretty much a day. So maybe that's my answer in that case, because that is longer than the lord of the Rings, but then fine.
3: you know it depends on where we're going i mean we're in a very film territory i've watched entire seasons of tv shows in a day so <laughs> yes i've absolutely done like 15 16 hour back-to-back jobs to get through a season of something in my sort of binging so mm. you know
0: apparently they can't binging as anything over three episodes in a day
3: it's <laughs> just normal tv watching i don't understand that's barely anything Actually, more than that in my commute
0: i know right Okay, so that was our answer, and our answer was uh, Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings, I think. Yes. yeah. Um, If you would like your question traded with the same incisive, insightful analysis that that one got, please do drop us a line. We are podcast at empireonline.com. On Twitter, we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see it. And on Facebook, we won't check it, but if you want to, we're there as Empire (laughs) Magazine. All right, I think time now for an interview. Roland Emmerich became known, of course, as the master of disaster with a string of huge scale hits like Independence Day, Day After Tomorrow, Godzilla, 2012. But this week he's back with a subject that's a little bit closer to reality, tackling some of the real life battles of the Pacific conflict of World War II in Midway. He sat down with Chris to talk about joining the Navy.
4: Delighted to be joined once again on the Emperor podcast by Roland Emmerich, director of Midway. Mm -hmm. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very good. Excellent. Good to have you here. If you had had your way, we would have been talking about this movie, say, 20 years ago.
2: Yes, but luckily we don't, because at that time, I think technology was not really as good as it is now. So I'm actually quite happy that it took so long, because I just uh, think it would have been not as easy to do. In what way? Well, you know, I I think um, water and explosions and smoke uh, came a long way. And because of that, you know, it was doable. It was also doable for, let's say, you know, a better price. You know, I mean, at that time, you remember when they like kind of did the Pearl Harbor, Uh where they had like budget problems. It was mainly because the visual effects, you know, were so... Everything was like new, and you know, and they had to kind of uh, cut their number of effects uh, down. I think they could only do like roughly 300 effect shots, which we have in our movie, 1500.
4: <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's pretty you know nice. what I mean, yeah. that's
2: like kind of naturally, you know, because of that, you know. Um, that's why I say easier. I mean, it was still not easy, but it was just like kind of uh, probably uh, 20 years not possible, yeah, to make this film.
4: Wow, and there's an awful lot of. History, an awful lot of key points leading up to midway that you have to condense and squeeze into this, otherwise this could be this could easily be it's a two hour movie yeah. but it could easily be three hours, it could easily be four hours yeah. So how difficult was it to accordion that history into a two hour uh, model?
2: Well it was um, I, I, I don't like long movies that's just like kind of my personal taste uh, and I always try to condense movies as much as I can. And it was already in the script like this. We had a a longer script. And Mm. very early on, I said, like, this is too long. Uh, Let's condense it to really what we need. And then at the end, maybe cut, like, another two, three scenes out, but uh, not Mm. much. Oh, Uh, really? Okay. And uh, we we just condensed it, you know, like, kind of by lines in a way. And um, I just, like, kind of thought, you know, we hit all the right points you have to hit.
4: Yeah. There's Pearl Harbor. There's Marshall Islands. Mm building up to, to mm-hmm. midway as well. You have a huge cast of characters. Mm-hmm. There are scenes as well from the the Japanese point of view. I mean, you're a director who is not, mm-hmm. you're not new to uh, ensemble casts mm-hmm. and to juggling large casts of characters. Mm-hmm. But even so, was this, was this a bit of a challenge for you?
2: Well, it was like kind of, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always drawn to kind of uh, bigger canvases, you know, mm-hmm. lots of uh, characters. All my movies, more or less, you know, like do that. And so it was not really for me a problem. It was like actually more a challenge to... Because don't forget, in a war movie, everybody some sort of has the same clothes on. Yes. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of find people who are very quite different from each other. Uh. And that was a, a little bit of challenge. And um, it was for me really, really important to make the movie e- evenly balanced... Mm -hmm. That's why we have um, nearly like twenty five percent or so. It's like kind of the the Japanese angle of the whole story because this was very important to understand why are the Japanese doing this at all and what like led them to lose the battle. The only real problem I had uh, in this movie I had to shoot it in sixty five (laughs) days. Wow. Which seems like a lot. And I couldn't even uh, do long days, which I tend to do uh, normally. But uh, just of budget restrictions, you know, we had not more money. uh, We had no second unit. Uh So I shot a movie in 65 days. Wow. It was tough. Because normally I'm always like playing it a little bit safe, like a lot of directors do. So like in editing, you have like kind of ways to lose some stuff. But every scene was like kind of relatively starkly blocked exactly how it should have been cut so i felt a little bit you know will this all work and then it worked great and now i'm like kind of thinking i'm doing all my movies in that kind of time
4: no second unit 65 yes
2: when i second unit i already gave up like three four films ago because i i always hate everything what they shoot and then i throw (laughs) it away (laughs) so
4: (laughs) you're not alone there i know guillermo del toro doesn't have a second unit uh, Edgar Wright doesn't like to have a second yeah, unit. You, when the, yeah, the
2: older you get, the the, <laughs> the the least you like second units, trust me. Also, like it's it's good to not overwork a crew either, because they, when they know they're getting out after 12 and a half hours, mm-hmm. that's a good thing, you know, and everybody works a little bit faster to make that happen. And I think the whole spirit on the sets is better. And so I will probably do this in my, uh, try to do this in my next movie, too.
4: And your next movie, we'll get on to that uh, in, a, in a few minutes as well. But is that Moonfall? Is that, mm-hmm. that definitely going to be next for you? Yes. That sounds very exciting to do. But this one, Midway, I mean, this is the passion project. This, why, why have you stayed with this movie? Or why has this movie stayed with you for the because last 20 it was,
2: years? Because uh, it's such an interesting battle. It's a, such an interesting combination of situations. It also shows that at one point uh, the Americans were the underdogs who had to kind of, uh, um, you know, defeat a much stronger uh, foe and there was one uh, element and i like the mix of politics and the whole naval intelligence part of it and it is, it's just like a big comeback story which mm-hmm. i really really always like kind of felt that was a really interesting way to do a war movie you know where the characters themselves have doubts if they can do it and then it's um it's also like a I have to say I was fascinated by dive bombing mm-hmm. uh, because it's such a, for us today, unknown thing that uh, at one point we were like kind of putting two people in a missile uh, and it was not like kind of somebody kind of in a joystick like a video game doing the the steering. No, They, they flew uh, down like missiles mm-hmm. on these kind of uh, ever-moving aircraft carriers and deployed their bomb as late as possible which uh, led a lot to people hitting the water mm. and while they were doing it like kind of uh, six seven ten ships were shooting at them
4: yeah it's it's pretty crazy i
2: mean some of the uh, some of the scenes of yeah, the and, and that's and that's particular. what like kind of always like i think uh i always had the feeling already 20 years ago that this was for me like kind of one of the Things I hadn't seen. Because you're always like in, in movies, you try to do something what you haven't seen or mm. haven't experienced. And that was always for me like uh, the, the part which I kind of thought that nobody has experienced that.
4: So how did this movie change for you over those, uh, that 20-year period? Did it go through different iterations no, of the script? No, it was
2: like, you know, I mean, there was never a script written. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like around five, six years ago a young writer came into my office and was for other scripts, you know. And every young writer I'm always asked, what is the script which is in you, which you have to write? And the guy without even thinking said Midway. And I said, why? And I said, because I come from a Navy family and I have a lot of respect uh, for what they do. And I think Midway is the most uh, amazing battle ever fought by the Americans. So I said, I totally agree. And we made like kind of this deal to develop the script together. Mm-hmm. First we were like kind of probing how to do it because I said to him, uh, first common. he wanted to kind of invent stuff. And I said like, I don't think Wes, we have to invent anything. We have to kind of just stay with the with the battle and with the characters. And then we, it, it was quite difficult to choose the characters because there's so many. And has a little bit of personal story for me. I have an uncle I never met who had exactly the same experience than Dick Best had. Okay. Uh, his, uh, he was a fighter pilot in World War II mm-hmm. and up and down, like, kind of affected his lungs and he had laden tuberculosis. He didn't knew about it. Oh, wow. And he died after the war because the medical facilities in Germany were destroyed. So, for me, this was, like, kind of the... the when I, like, read, you know, about Dick Best, mm. that immediately spoke to me.
4: That's fascinating, the idea of... Um it on real characters as well, and I, I guess I, I, a character name like Dick Best, for example, has to be from history. There was because like you the, the funny
2: thing, like everybody who like kind of Googled Dick Best got on like kind of gay porn sites. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, but his name in. was Halsey. You know, uh, uh, you know, his name was Halsey. Uh, Dick best. Yeah. Anyhow. Okay.
4: It's, a, it's there. It is there. Um, it's really interesting as well, Roland. I mean, you mentioned that you have this uncle that you never met. Obviously, this is a, a World War II story that focuses on America and Japan. Mm-hmm. Are you tempted at all to, uh, have you ever been tempted to make a, a, a story that focuses on the German side of things?
2: Well, I'm always like kind of uh, interested in doing a movie about Erwin Rommel okay because he comes from my homeland yeah he's like Swabian like me and um, he was a fascinating character and I have the feeling he in a way went through what Germany went through he was like kind of at the beginning a fan of Hitler Mm -hmm. you know and at the end was part of the assassination attempt Mm -hmm. you know that was like kind of for me a, a journey, which I kind of think was like it's very interesting. One day, maybe I will do it.
4: Because I, I imagine the idea is that as we get further and further away from World War II, that it begins to fade in people's memories. Yeah, and, we have, is, to,
2: and we have to be really careful about yeah. that. I, I tell you, it's like, and, and that's why I'm probably also happy I, I made the movie now, beside the technical sides of things. I think with the rise of nationalism more and more, all over the world. Yeah. This is not only America, this mm-hmm. is uh, Europe, uh, the same thing. Uh, right-wing parties, you know, like kind of growing. I mean, that led us to a war, yeah. which cost like 50 million people's life. And you ask yourself, you know, this could very well happen. And I'm also like kind of very, very concerned, you know, um, that like kind of because of climate change, there will be more and more refugees yeah. in the future, not only like kind of 10 million, but like maybe 100 or 200 or 300 million. Yeah. And then we have to kind of be very, very strong because yeah. uh, these people, it's not their fault. It's like the its the first world's fault that uh, that all this they happens. They were in this mess, yeah. They were in this mess, and we. I hope that we're like, and I, I'm, look, I'm not, a, I'm not a conservative in any form, but I was quite amazed that our... Angela Merkel took in one million or well, more than one million refugees, mm. you know, because that's actually the way to go.
4: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it, it's now fifteen years since the uh, the day after tomorrow, mm-hmm. which, despite uh, you know the, the the CG wolves and whatnot, is beginning to look more like a documentary <laughs> with every passing day.
2: It's so funny, and like <laughs> in in, in um, every like storm you know like kind of these images of day after tomorrow they use them and make them like kind of fake news you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. and then the best was like kind of when uh, when there was this like storm surge in new york they used like the empire state building <laughs> as like a as like a <laughs> that's funny it could happen
4: it could happen and uh, but it is strange i mean 15 years ago you were you were making this movie even back then i remember speaking to you about that and you mm-hmm. were even then ringing the bell uh back yeah then. and then
2: i think uh I, hopefully, hope, I obviously didn't ring it uh, loud enough. I mean, it is amazing. Um, it's amazing what's happening because uh, we're not going uh, in the right direction. And it's actually the only... But what gives me hope is like finally kids go on the street. Yeah. I mean, that's a real good development. But then they get ridiculed by like a, a guy like Trump, which is like... Super interesting what's happening. But uh, only lately somebody from, I think was like kind of from Vanity Fair or somebody did mm. some article about it and uh, asked me, so why no more movies like that? And I said, well, it's like maybe there's a, a superhero is more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so we need
4: a superhero who will fight global warming.
2: Yeah, but it's like not going to happen. You yeah. know what I mean? We're like kind of uh, silly ourselves to death.
4: Yeah. So we focus too much on entertainment. We don't necessarily listen to the messages. Of well, the
2: yeah, you can make it in, uh, interesting and 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 exciting and, and and all these kind of things. So I mean, when uh, Hollywood put his mind to it, um, there could be a whole subgenre of yeah. like kind of uh, environmental movies, you know.
4: But is there a responsibility there in that? I believe that people are strangely more likely to listen to a movie or to the message put out by a movie then they might be to listen to a politician not that there are many politicians talking about climate change in a positive way anyway but sure you, you sure. Made a i i
2: i think so i mean like kind of a, a day after tomorrow was a successful movie made at that time, like, I think, $560 million. It's like today, like a billion. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I have to say, uh, more and more, I think, uh, okay, nobody else does it, I will do it probably again and try to come up with something.
4: Yeah, I think I, I spoke to Adam McKay, and he said that his next movie will probably be about climate change and global mm-hmm. warming and about how people are putting their fingers in their ears and not listening until it's, yeah, until it's too He's late. He's a great director. So, so, But it is interesting, because obviously that you also have the idea that you know, these huge machines, these huge pieces of entertainment also have a fairly big carbon footprint as well. So do you think Hollywood has a responsibility to offset that in a way?
2: Well, I mean, it's like kind of the carbon uh, footprint of a movie. is not that big. I mean, mm. you know, I think, uh, for example, meat eating and cows uh, are some of the biggest offenders. Yeah. Uh, so we have to all become vegan you know, and that would help a lot. And then the next thing is cars, you know, and there's like a already a huge, you know, like trend towards electric cars, but yep. uh, maybe not enough and not fast enough. And then um, airplanes is also like kind of a huge uh, offender. So I don't think like kind of movies are a big offender in that yeah. form maybe mainly because they're using cars and driving to drive around, but whatever. But I have the feeling the biggest problem, uh, I think, which we will face is just a geopolitical one. Yeah. Because uh, what I mentioned earlier, so you you have like a lot of people, you know, cannot live off their land anymore. It's going to be huge displacement. Yes, and, and displacement. that is like kind of, yeah. I think, a movie should show that.
4: Absolutely. I have to say, Roland, I... Uh, I get all those points. I take them all on board. But going vegan for me is going to be very, very tough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> me too.
2: Me too. I'm not vegan yet. Just okay. like kind of thinking about it.
4: <laughs> How close are you? <laughs> uh, well,
2: I had like a I had like a hamburger with uh, lately, uh, which was uh, vegan and it tasted like a hamburger. See,
4: really? Because if they do that, if they can crack that, if they can crack. Uh, a vegan meal that would, that would taste like meat and has the texture of meat. Yeah,
2: yeah. i this uh, texture, texture is like naturally easier in a hamburger yeah. because it's hot yeah. anyway. Yeah. I think they haven't figured out how to create meats uh, artificially. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we'll check back in on the next one. <laughs> the, the next movie. <laughs> See how far, how long we are on the road there. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is going to be Moonfall, yeah, uh, which is uh, very, very exciting.
2: And it's just a very simple concept. It's a moon is falling to Earth, and uh, the moon is not what we think it is. Yes. So it's super easy to explain, right?
4: So school of thought that uh, that it's it's too much of a coincidence that it is exactly the right distance from the Earth to affect the tides and to affect. Well,
2: yeah, it's like and then it's, uh, it has a lot of peculiarities about the moon, and uh, they will all get explained.
4: <laughs> I look forward <laughs> to that one, and that that sounds like a. Not necessarily a return to the likes of of Independence Day but uh, and 2012. But well,
2: it's, it's a little bit like it has a little more philosophical kind of undertones. You know, ah. it's like really answering a lot of questions. We have where is life coming from, etc. And also it's a little bit more ex- space exploration because we have to go up there and fix it. So it's
4: 2012 meets 2001.
2: Yeah, something like that.
4: <laughs> Which is... 4,013, I will
2: no, say like <laughs> Stay away do. from numbers. <laughs> too many movies with numbers in them anyway. But
4: hang on, if we then throw Moon 44 into the equation, then I don't yeah, know exactly, where we are. Yeah, exactly.
2: Who knows? Who knows? It's like, um, no more numbers.
4: <laughs> what is it with you and the moon, Roland? I mean, why you? Uh, why, why are you returning?
2: Well, it's like kind of just, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, even as a kid, I was fascinated by the moon. It's like, so it's every day, it's like kind of, Especially when you live in California, we have, like, some moon rises, which are spectacular. Mm. And then just imagine that, like, kind of the whole sky is a moon. Mm -hmm. It's pretty kind of cool images. Yes. Yeah.
4: It should be fun. It should be fun. Look forward to that. And how far away are you from from starting I will, like, start
2: shooting probably in in April or May.
4: Excellent. And uh, one of the interesting things about uh, Midway, and in fact throughout your career, is that not all the time, but you do like to use... The same actors again and again so it was lovely seeing dennis quaid and woody harrelson yeah, yeah. also, uh, also for me cool yeah and uh <laughs> and you seem to be someone who's who has you know you work with harold closer an awful lot over the last uh, 15 years or yeah, so as well yeah. so you, you clearly like working with the same people yeah uh, when do you know when you've clicked with someone when you click with an actor and you want to use them again
2: well with like kind of a woody it's like just uh for me i'm fascinated by him because he can be funny he can be serious he can be everything mm-hmm. And Dennis was, like, just perfect as Halsey, I thought, because Halsey was also like this grumpy, you know, like, kind of uh, man. And I think Dennis, even he's not grumpy as a person, but he can play very well grumpy. And it was just also, like, kind of a cool thing for me, you know, that, like, uh, after, you know, um, so many years, you mm. know, um, Dennis, you know, like, kind of came back, you know, in a movie. And the first thing what he said to me, Gosh, you know, I mean, this day after tomorrow, I, I, at that time, I didn't thought it was like really, <laughs> <laughs> and we were right, yeah, I said, I'm well, uh, about <laughs> you know, I said like, oh, really, we were right. And, and, and Woody is just, uh, he became a, a bit of a friend. I mean, when we like kind of shoot movies, we also hang out in the evening, mm-hmm. well, which, awesome. is, which is cool on the weekend.
4: Uh, be interesting to see what you guys get up to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Only, only it's stupid stuff. Trust me.
4: I can imagine, and uh, obviously as well, Roland. You've worked with both Quaid brothers uh, as well. Uh, oh, Randy, yeah. Randy was.
2: Yeah, Randy, we have lost somewhat.
4: Randy, we have lost. Uh, we have
2: Rand- lost uh, to the Canadian wilderness. I hear <laughs> he's like somewhere in a in a in a in a cam- camper. Somewhere in the Canadian woods. No, I, no, no joke.
4: No, absolutely. That's where he is. Yeah. He's like
2: wife, Evie. Yeah. I mean, Evie, she was then already his girl. Oh, back on they were not, they were not married yet, but they were together and I saw it coming.
4: It makes sense now. Watching yeah. the movie but back. it's like,
2: kind of then on the other hand, I kind of really liked uh, when they, when they made like a YouTube video where Evie with the, with a face mask of Murdoch is like fucking him <laughs> yes. from behind. That was quite entertaining, I thought.
4: <laughs> it, yeah, we've all seen it. We might as well. let let's not pretend exactly. we haven't seen it. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it was interesting. Interesting. It's not on his CV officially, but it's, it's still <laughs> one of the be? best movies. <laughs> I think it should it's, be. It's one of the most interesting movies he's made in the last 10 years. Exactly. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, on that note, an interesting note in which to end, Roland Emmerich, it's been a pleasure. As okay. always.
3: Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye.
0: What a nice man. Okay. Did the, uh,
3: Did the interview start midway?
0: That's terrible, James. Yeah. That's awful. Anyway, he's a very nice man. I like him. Even I love though, Roland Emmerich. Even he's though brilliant. he made Anonymous, which I still haven't quite forgiven him for. Time for some movie news. What have we got this week?
3: Well... The thing that I guess has happened most recently, they have announced a date for Disney Plus. Normally, yes. I would of course save this for the Pilot TV of Podcast, course. but sure, let's do it while well, it's just over here, Alan. So, thirty first of March will be when Disney Plus launches in the UK. Mm. Uh, so, a full good few months after it launches, well, everywhere else, which which is an interesting one. So, I think they were looking at the possibility of finding. Uh, sort of syndicating partners for things like The Mandalorian. Because The Mandalorian will launch in the US, you know, this month, essentially. And we will be waiting another four months before we see it in the UK. And presumably they've got piracy concerns about that. And I think they were going to say, you know, do we do something with Sky? For whatever reason, those deals didn't work out. So in the UK, we are banned from seeing this, essentially, until March, which is less than ideal.
0: It is not great for those of us who are crazy Star Wars fans. Yeah,
3: it's not great. I wonder whether they will drop them all at once Mm. in March, as opposed to rolling them out week by week, which is what they're going to do everywhere else. Oh, interesting. But then you've got to wonder whether they'll do that, because Disney Plus is an interesting one. So Disney Plus has got the weight of sort of legacy IP stuff. They've got all the old Disney back catalogue, but more importantly, they've got all the Marvel TV shows. They've got the Star Wars TV Mm -hmm. shows. But if you look at the rollout schedules they're not coming for a long time. I believe the first uh, Marvel show is Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is next, essentially end of next year. And
0: that's only just started shooting.
3: Yeah, so So. it's a long way off. So Mandalorian is their only, I think, must-watch thing. And if they drop them all on launch day, there's a sense that well, I mean, you, what you, are we now doing with this? <laughs>
0: so what, you get your three months trial. And yeah, you, and you're uh, like,
3: well, I'm done now. The Mandalorian, I've seen it. I'm finished. I'll see you in
0: November well, for exactly. Winter Soldier.
3: And, and you've got to think with the streaming wars kicking off now, they can't afford to do that. I
0: feel like there's going to be a lot more to it. And I also feel like they're going to have a lot more content. But maybe it's just not specifically geared to you as a nerd.
3: <laughs> <And> maybe <laughs> it's
0: specifically geared to kids. I mean, there's going to be a huge amount there that kids are going to oh, be obsessed what a kids know. about. And Frozen 2 will probably be on there by March, oh, right? Yeah. So there's going to be stuff like that that they're going to have, which is going to be a pretty tasty prospect. Where it can't, though, I
3: like. guess, I mean, do, do we know if Disney life is continuing or they're going to end Disney life? Because I imagine if if they sort of migrate people from that, hmm. you know, then, then that opens up a much sort of broader, sort of younger audience. But it's interesting. So Apple... TV Plus obviously has launched, has that launched, launched last yeah. week. They had The Morning Show, they had C, they had Dickinson. They had, I thought, quite a strong lineup when they launched. I know it's had some mixed reviews. C, I am absolutely down for. I'm really enjoying yes, this. Yes,
0: but it's basically your Sandra Bullock favourite redone. A right? little bit,
3: but, but it's just so much fun. And Momoa is so awesome as this kind of like, he's basically a huge blind John Wick running around in a post-apocalyptic wilderness. And what is not to love about that idea? I
0: mean, that does sound great.
3: There is a fight sequence, a blind choreographed fight sequence in episode three, which has to be seen to be believed. It is the most badass thing I think I've ever seen on television.
0: Is, is, um, is it a bit Zatoichi?
3: Oh, very much like that. You know, Or Blind Justice. Blind, yeah. Whatever your point of reference is. Or Book of Eli. But this one in particular, it has a different texture. And I think things like Zatoichi and things like uh, I mean, let's not talk about Blind Justice but things like Book of Eli, <laughs> it's very much like it's traditional combat, but he happens to be blind. And in Book of Eli, spoiler, you don't even know he's blind until the (laughs) end of the film. I've just ruined Book of Eli. You have totally Um, ruined Book of Eli. Fair enough. But in this, like the nature of fighting is adapted to the fact that this is a world in which no one can see. So the way they actually approach everything, especially combat, is fundamentally very tactile and very different. And I love the attention to detail. Also, it's got these demented masturbatory interludes that I can't even get my head around. So in the first episode, the Queen says she has to pray, so proceeds to pleasure herself in a holy way, and then doubles down on that in every possible sense in the second episode. And you're just like, I don't understand this at all. And it's really uncomfortable watching this with the PR sitting next to me. But... Um, what? Yeah, don't ask. You know
0: what? Don't answer. I don't want yeah. to know.
3: But but so there's loads of good stuff on on Apple. But what I think it's it's different different approaches. So Disney Plus is is resting on their IPs. They've got Marvel. They've got Star yeah, Wars. Yeah. They've got their back catalogue. Pixar. Exactly. And Apple has none of that. So what they've essentially done is they've got good people and they've said people like Stephen Knight and said have go all the nuts, money. have all the money and do whatever the <laughs> fuck you want. Go absolutely batshit mental. Stephen Knight's going. All right, all right. Here's an idea. Everyone has to wank to pray. No, everyone's blind. It takes place in the future. And they're like, brilliant, do it. And it's just shit like that. You know, and someone's, and and Hayley gone, going, okay, right. So it's about Emily Dickinson. Yeah, yeah, so like, it's like a period by a period. No, no. She goes, I want it to be like a half hour teen comedy about Emily Dickinson. And I want Wiz Khalifa playing death. Brilliant, do it. You know, that's their whole ethos. (laughs) And it's amazing. And it's genius. And I'm there for it.
0: How many of these can we commit to? <laughs> all, of the, no. all of the shows, as just, much as possible. There's only so much time and I have work to well, do. Well, I've
3: seen, I've seen the M. Night Shyamalan show, which is on there, and I'm not allowed to talk about it because it's embargoed. But all I'm going to say is, without reviewing the show, watch the trailer and you will see a show that is completely mental. <laughs> you know, there's it's, it's really bold and it's really brave. And, you know... I, I can't help thinking that Martin Scorsese would very much approve of this because it is people taking risks and pushing oh boundaries and there is no safety here whatsoever. Yes, they are but are they really the boat examining
0: out. the human condition? Because well, if they're not, I'm not interested. Your it's mileage may similar, vary. You know. But
3: I think if Martin Scorsese had to choose between Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus, well, obviously <laughs> that, yeah. <But laughs> i know like, where he'd go. There's a
0: reason nobody's asking him to do that. Yeah, you that's know? true. Uh, that's it's true. interesting if, you, if people haven't read it yet, there was an op-ed by Martin Scorsese in the New York Times it this was. week further kind of explaining his his position um it's a it's a stunningly written piece obviously he's mm. martin scorsese i agree with about 75 percent of it obviously because i'm me um, but uh but yeah it's it's a bit more a bit more context for for you know his remarks and and it's definitely worth a
3: read we should also mention that obviously this whole furore about martin marty marty versus disney uh kicked off with nick de Sandlin's interview with him about the Irishman. we have put the entire unedited interview now on the website so people can see the quotes in context as part of his broader Irishman piece. So I do recommend you check it out on empireonline.com
0: Absolutely. Um, there is other news that we should talk about. Um, I've already mentioned the James Dean thing but let's talk yeah. about this for a minute because it's the worst ridiculous thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. The makers of a new Vietnam war drama called Finding Jack have, have claimed that they really searched and searched for someone to play a particular role in their film and they decided that the best possible person for the role would be cg james dean and they've been talking i believe to his estate to get the rights to use cg james dean instead of any living actor in a-, a film set in an era when he was already about 20 years dead Just-
3: where do you even <sighs> begin with this? Cuz first of all, this operates somehow on the premise that James Dean was better than every living actor now, which is obviously not the case.
0: Well, he was very good. Yeah, of course he was. But, but, but the not reason to he dig was, him up The reason he was very good was because he was a, an incredibly sensitive actor, he was incredibly nuanced, he was incredibly human. And you you know I love VFX. You know I'm always going to sort of stand up for VFX they would say they're not there yet yeah. they would say yeah. they can't do that and if they are getting, if, if the response to that is to get someone to give them those emotions and then they turn mm. that into James Dean, then the response is why not use that person who just gave you those emotions Absolutely. and don't turn it into James Dean. Mm. Um, it's it's a l- utterly ludicrous thing. Now if you were for example Quentin Tarantino making Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you wanted James Dean and Marilyn Monroe in the background of a party, obviously it wouldn't be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because they would have been dead by then but you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, if
3: they absolutely. Want, if
0: you wanted them in passing in the background of a room, CG could do that pretty damn well, and it would be pretty cool. But having an actual role in your film played by a dead actor... Like, when a they're not playing themselves, like, it's there's yeah. no logic to it's it. It is mad. It's
3: no logic to it. It's, we're in Simone territory, aren't we? Like, it's, yes. It's just
0: if you haven't seen the Robin Wright film, The Congress, mm. that's exactly what this is about. And you should definitely watch the Robin Wright film, The Congress, because it's fascinating. It goes to some really weird places and crazy animation and all sorts of craziness. But it is absolutely on this issue, and it's really worth watching. But the takeaway here is just James Dean, don't do it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Did anyone use the headline "Rebel Without a Corpse"?
0: I hope not, James. I really hope not. But there it is. That's a thing that hopefully won't happen. Yeah,
3: that's really good. In fairness,
0: this. it's a film that doesn't appear to have much other sort of, you know, above the line...
3: Virtues? ...eye-catching, stu-
0: eye-catching Things to stuff. Things catching recommend it. Let's say. So, so maybe this is just a publicity stunt and yeah. maybe they'll back off. Let's hope. Um, there was also news about the Batman. Casting continues. They are still trying to make me interested in Batman. Yeah. Is it. it working? It kind of is. Okay. Colin Farrell is the penguin. Yeah. It's so deeply counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, that's not, that's not what the penguin what, looks like, What's is it? the
3: Christmas movie where he plays Satan? Is it like Fairy Tale of New York or something? Is it, it called something like that? It
0: is called something like yeah. that, yeah. And
3: it's, do you think it's going to be a bit like that, like sinister sinister criminal Farrell
0: look as long as he doesn't turn into Johnny Depp in the last act yeah. <laughs> I am here for it I adore him in Daredevil I think his bullseye is one of the great comic book villains I know yeah he, honestly I just love him that whole you made me miss oh I freaking love it um, <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm super here for it but, um, but superhero yeah, not, for it super for it super villain for it but um, it's not what I would have expected
3: no and Alfred
0: and Alfred Andy circus.
3: yeah that I like I, I'm mm absolutely there for, for, for Andy Andy Circus. All the fun of the circus. Yeah. Uh, in, in Alfred.
0: I think it's a really good call. He's smart. He's sarky. Mm. And you need someone who can kind of puncture Bruce Wayne's ego just a little bit. And also just, he, he has that air of capability, doesn't he? So that kind of feels like and somebody. And
3: he'll probably be, be really into it because he'll be scarred from having just directed Venom 2. So.
0: <laughs> hey! What? No, hey, all, no, he's going to be fine.
3: That, actually, weirdly, he's the only thing that makes me excited about Venom 2. So. <laughs> um, so they're doing a Scream 5 have you seen this oh really yeah apparently there is news whether it will actually happen but there is news that they're aiming to do another Scream film which clearly is what we've all been crying out for Screaming for yeah
0: Mm. I mean this could be good Scream 4 wasn't the greatest but Scream still was and Scream 2 was great I mean
3: Wes Craven clearly not involved um, and on account of you know being deceased but uh, Kevin Williamson I don't think is involved either so this feels a little bit like a huh huh yeah Hmm. also Scream is one of those things where Scream was brilliant in the era it came out because it did something new and bold and now it's just only like its main hook its main thing is no longer relevant like Everything is meta now.
0: But maybe they can find a way to make it new again.
3: What, by just doing a flat-out horror with no irony or self-awareness <laughs> whatsoever? Like an old-school slasher effect. Maybe. And they're like, yep, we're original again.
0: Or maybe they take it through meta and out the other side, like a Fast and Furious movie.
3: Wow, what lies on the other side of meta, Helen? <laughs> I
0: don't know. Um, I spoke about Colin Farrell turning into Johnny Depp a moment ago. There was news this week that there will be a third Fantastic Beasts film, and oh, it is apparently fantastic. moving to Brazil for its setting. So that's kind of interesting, following New York and Paris. Apparently Jessica Williams's character, Professor Lally Hicks who's an, um, one of the teachers at the US version of uh, Hogwarts, Ilvermore, will have a bigger role this time. She appeared very briefly, you might just remember, in Crimes of Grindelwald. I might not. You might not. Um, but she will apparently be back, and uh, and so will, of course, all of the core cast. But that's, that's a thing that's still happening, and, um, you know, maybe this time the story will start, so I'm, I'm hopeful for that. Yes. I just want them to just get into their plot, just sink their teeth <laughs> into their plot and stop going off on these side quests.
3: Have you heard that John Spates is writing the next Dune film, but not now the Bene Gesserit TV spin-off?
0: I did, and I think this is a good thing,
3: right? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sad about it. Mm. Um, I, it's, 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 I'm, I mean, my feelings about Dune are well documented. Are you a friend? all the Dune, all the time, <laughs> uh, I, I'm very excited about this.
0: I'm, I'm also glad that they're kind of gearing up for the second part. I feel, yeah. I feel like that's a good sign that they're confident in what they've got for a start, which I think they
3: probably should be. I'm with you, and like no one loves Dune more than I do, but I'm very aware that this film, you know, I'm not saying John Carter level, but it's possible because it's so fucking dense yeah. and it's the least accessible thing in the world. And I think, you know, they, it's going to require an incredible feat of storytelling to pull this off. If they do, it could be the best film of the year. Mm. If not, John Carter of Mars. So, hey,
0: John Carter you know, is underrated. There'll be
3: Jedax sure. all over the place. It's John
0: Carter oh is God. underrated, um, but no, I do, I do think this is a good thing. I think that they have a lot of story to tell, so they need to be planning this second film fairly quickly. I hope people know by this point what June is, because God knows we bang on about it enough. But it's a, well,
3: who's got twenty minutes? I'm oh very happy to go through it for you. Let
0: me summarise what James was about to say. <laughs> It's a sci-fi epic set on the desert planet June. The incoming noble family put in charge of it are basically facing a cunning trap left by the outgoing family in charge of it, who are all freaking psychos.
3: Led by the Baron of uh, Vladimir Harkonnen. Offense correct. Harkonnen.
0: Played here by...
3: The, a man from Gear Prime Stellan Skarsgård no. correct yes. uh, um, and, and, is...
0: and so our heroes Oscar Isaac Rebecca Ferguson yes. and Timothy
3: Chalamet as Duke Lito uh, Duke, uh, Duke, as Duke Lito, Lito Atreides uh, the Lady Jessica Atreides and of course Paul Atreides aka Wadib
0: she's just the Lady Jessica isn't she
3: that's right right, because she's a concubine she's not actually his wife oh good you've out-dune-splained me Helen oh, congratulations yes. <laughs> you <laughs> have outduned is mine. me me wow. victory is mine that's bring me the true. finest
0: bagels and muffins in all the land you
3: have you have one Dune (laughs)
0: Anyway, the point is, it's a big clash. There's going to be some problems. Everything's awesome.
3: Lots of worms. Lots of spice. Giant worms. Very spicy. Yes. Giant worms.
0: Think Tremors meets Tatooine. Yes. It's going to be great.
3: That's probably how they pitched it. I hope so. Um, Speaking of things that were a raging success, Terminator Dark Fate debuted... In the cinema. I liked it. And Helen went to see it. Unfortunately, no one else did. Uh, this is a film that debuted to $29 million at the US box office. That's not terrible. Which means it may well lose $100 million. <laughs>
0: okay, that's terrible.
3: <laughs> so i it's possible that short of them sending a cyborg back in time to stop Tim Miller from making this film, mm. um, this may be it for Terminators f- forever. It's terminated. Look, I mean... Like a like a little thumb disappearing into the lava. Okay,
0: you you know I'm kind of conflicted here because on one hand I really enjoyed this yeah. film and I'm actually in, intrigued by these characters and would would watch more. On the other hand, I'm sick of us recycling all the same old franchises <laughs> and I think sometimes they should be allowed to die in the lava, um, well molten metal. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm conflicted. I'm torn. I'm I'm kind of okay if they don't make any for ever or certainly a few decades. But on the other hand, I genuinely like this film and I know people have been like, oh, what the fuck, Helen? It's political correctness gone mad. You just like it because it's girls. And no, I genuinely liked it because it was, I think... Probably Linda Hamilton. That's not the point. It's. I thought it was really good. Yeah. So um, I know you did. I know. I know. (laughs) No,
3: look, I I didn't hate it. I was on set of this film. You know, like I I have been quite you know involved. I wasn't involved in the production, but I was immersed in it for a while at least. And I you know I thought I thought the leads were all great. I thought it had lots of personality. I hadn't. I don't think it did anything badly. I just, for me, it just felt like like a like a now compilation, you know, like a greatest hits thing. It's that like all of this has been done before and better. Mm. Uh, and that doesn't make it a bad film, but it doesn't make it a great film. That said, I would hate to be a person trying to follow Terminator 2, which is a stone cold classic movie. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how... Well, nobody ever has managed no, it. so exactly. Far, so. Like, it's an incredible piece of filmmaking, and I just... Yeah, this was never going to measure up to that. But, (laughs) I mean, there will be no Terminator slightly darker fate um, (laughs) because, frankly, they're going to be paying this off for a while.
0: Well, maybe that'll be a podcast. You know, if we're doing, I'm doing a a podcast called His Darker Materials to tie in with His Dark Materials. So maybe there's a podcast somewhere called Terminator Darker Darker Fate Fate. Mm. to tie in with this. And it's just
3: Tim Miller explaining why no one would see the film. (laughs)
0: I just I, I do think it's it's a shame, but hey, so it goes. Um, I was pleased this week. Now, I know Chris isn't here to talk about how much he loves The Equalizer. So I'm going to say Go on. I didn't love it. It was fine. It's fine. Um, but Queen Latifah is apparently going to be starring in a TV remake
3: of, of The, of the equalizer.
0: equalizer. And I'm kind of here for that. Cause As I, The Equalizer. Yeah, because I think Queen Latifah is freaking great. I watched voluntarily, for enjoyment, Last Holiday again this wow. week. Because you know what? I think it's underrated. I think she's super charming in it and I think she can be great in the right roles. So I am here for it. She's going to be starring in and co-producing the new series um, and she'll be the retired intelligent operative who writes wrongs and...
3: Will protects she the innocent start and so on. Her, the stopwatch on her watch before she goes and kills loads of people? Do you think she'll do that?
0: I hope so. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, this is good news for me. I'm, I'm a fan, so this could be interesting. Okay. Um, what else have we got? There are a few trailers that are worth watching. The new Pixar film Soul has a trailer that's out. It's about, you'll never guess, Souls. It, it's by, you won't guess, Pete Doctor. Yeah. Who's the one who does all the metaphysical stuff. Um, I've seen loads of this. Have you?
3: Yes, because they, they did a big Soul presentation at D23. I have got Soul. And i'm not, not a soldier, a soldier. Uh, but yeah, no, it looked really fun it, I mean it looks mental um, um like the like where souls go and the, the i don't I, I wonder how much of it I'm supposed to be saying, but so there's 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 you know obviously it's a character who falls down a manhole and dies and ends up in the afterlife, but it's it's a melding of like uh, spirituality, of you know the sort of existentialism, visions of the afterlife <laughs> and and jazz, <laughs> and this is the key part of this, and jazz.
0: And it's for kids.
3: And it's for kids. So kids, <laughs> if you're really into smooth jazz, existentialism and spirituality, this film is your bag.
0: I feel like Tim Robbins in The Hudsucker Proxy is like holding up a <laughs> circle and going, you know, for kids.
3: It's just, yeah, that's what it, it is. It makes no but, sense. But Pixar, I've done this before. I mean, if you look at what Inside Out yeah. essentially is, like, well, it's a metaphysical look at emotions and how they shape the psyche and how our past really, really defines our future. And you're like, and it's for kids. Sure. <laughs>
0: That is an incredible piece of filmmaking, and I know I've said this before, but it's an incredible piece of filmmaking because it's two completely different films (laughs) happening on the same screen at the same time. Adults are watching a totally different movie to the one kids are seeing, and it's just so clever. So if he can do that Mm. again, I will just bow down and all. Pixar are incredible.
3: Like what they did with Toy Story 4, where adults were watching a quite tedious and unnecessary sequel to a load of films (laughs) that were once good, and then kids were watching, oh no, that's right, it was the same thing.
0: Hey, some people like that movie a lot. Caboom. Anyway, um, also in the trailer news, the new one from Ben Zeitlin's uh, *Beast of the Southern Wild* filmmaker, his new film *Wendy* had a trailer this week, which is definitely worth watching. And the other one that really took me by surprise was Nicolas Cage in the trailer <laughs> for *The Color Out of Space*, which is about a color that comes from space. I can't stress that enough, and it looks amazing, and what, I can't wait what, to see. What color is it? It's kind of a purpley pink, but he says it's not quite that. You can't describe it, so. It's pretty great, Wow, it genuinely looks good. I'm is this is like it.
3: this is like the visual uh, equivalent of umami, isn't it? Where it's just like it's, a, it's like a oh you can't it's just on the tip of your tongue. You can't quite describe what it is. Do you
0: know what color it is? Well it's octarine.
3: Oh, this is this is Discworld, isn't it? Is. it? Yes, uh, the color of magic. Or or Helen, could it be peril? That's a very niche reference to Brent Weeks' Black Prism fantasy series. That
0: was a niche reference. So niche, in fact, that I don't get it and don't (laughs) tend to find out. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay, I think that's probably enough news. Yeah. I hope. I think
3: we've exhausted it. On to the films I haven't seen. Yeah, something
0: massive will no doubt happen in about an hour and a half, but for now...
3: Martin Scorsese has announced as the director of Avengers, the next six, seven, and eight.
0: Avengers Unending Game. That would be brilliant. Speaking of Martin Scorsese... Our next interview, Stephen Graham has been acting since he was in his teens and he broke through in Guy Ritchie's Snatch. Now he's playing mobster Provisano in Martin Scorsese's The Irishman and he wears the most amazing shorts you've ever seen in it. (laughs) Uh, It's a reunion for the pair after their long collaboration on Boardwalk Empire. So we sent Nick around to find out more about his experience uh, following in Leo and Bob's footsteps as Marty's muse.
5: We are very, very excited to have Mr. Stephen Graham on the Empire Podcast. Hello, sir. Hello, mate. Uh, last time we chatted on the phone earlier this year, you'd just accidentally dropped your phone into a pond.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that now. How is the new one uh, working out? It's all right. Yeah, it's still the same. I, I got the same size. <laughs> it's the same Diddy one. But um, and my kids do nothing but take the, uh, take the Michael out of me. You can you can swear. You can okay. you can they say take anything the piss on out, out of me all the time, Grace. Now because. <laughs> Look at your little phone, but I don't want one of them big house bricks in my pocket, you know what I mean? But yeah, uh, Yeah, I remember that, yeah, I dropped it in. Yeah, as I was going in the gym, there's like a little bridge across this like <laughs> tiny pond thing with lots of carp in it.
5: Have you uh, dropped anything else in that in that no, pond? No, that's
1: the only thing I've ever dropped in there not and full what of a your... thing to drop. Well, I'm glad
5: the new one is still still in your pocket. Yeah. So yeah, we're here to talk about The Irishman, which is just about to come out on the big screen and then it's going to hit Netflix later in November. Yeah so you play tony pro yeah tony great pro character name great one. character you got offered that role at martin scorsese's house
1: yes there's more of a backstory to it in the of you know, i was filming with shane we were doing the virtues and i got a call on a wednesday saying you know i had to be in new york on saturday morning to sit down with marty because marty was doing this great big film and you know they had a great cast in it i didn't know much about it to be completely honest but i had to fly out to meet robert de niro because he was exec producer and he wanted to sign off on it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, as you can, bit of imagine, pressure. Yeah, a little bit of pressure, as you can imagine. And flew out there, and you know, it was it was all great, and met Marty at his house, and Mister De Niro comes about twenty minutes later and comes in, and he's got a little paper under his arm and that a little cap on, a pair of shorts, and he's just like, "Hey, hello, I'm Bob," and I was like, "Hello, all right." <laughs> oh, no, uh, and then we we just chatted. We we got we got to talk, and he asked me, you know about why I wanted to be an actor, when I, where I grew up, what it was like, where I come from, you know, my family and my background and stuff like that. And, and we just really started chatting and it, and it was lovely. And, and all of a sudden, the next minute, Ellen Lewis, who's the wonderful casting director, I came, popped around head around the corner and, at the door and just said, Stephen needs to get a plane. We've been in there for two hours, do you know what I mean? And it was like, oh, okay. Uh, and then I went, so have I got it? And he was like, uh, just, just just give us a few more minutes, just, just go and wait downstairs. And, I, and so my bottle was gone still, do you know what I mean? I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> and then I've come back up and he's gone, I'll, I'll let Marty tell you. So then I'm still thinking, oh, no, that's why? He just doesn't quite like me or he just doesn't quite think I'm right. or. And then he went, Marty went, right, okay, so, uh, well, do you want to do this, kid? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> of course I do, yeah. And then... Mr. De give me give me a little cuddle, and just kind of said, you know, nice. You're gonna be great. You're gonna be great, kid. And that was it. I felt like I was a made man. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I love, I love that you were the one in that scenario having to leave early. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Isn't that great? But I mean, you know, you have to understand. As a kid, when I was, I think I was, I can't remember if I was fourteen or I was fifteen, and I said to my dad. I said, I think I really want to give this acting a go. Do you know what I mean? It's something I I really love doing and I feel passionate about it. And he's like, are you sure? And I went, yeah, I really think I do, Dad. I think this is what I want to do. And he went, okay, come on. And we went, we left the flat and we went to Quarry Green Video Shop, which was, I'm I'm talking in the days of when we were kids, (laughs) do you know what I mean, when there was videos... And we went, and, we, and he's and I'm in the video shop. And I used to love going to video shop anyway, do you know what I mean? Because he was just brilliant. And I if wasn't there getting porkies or something like that. <laughs> remember. And he's just um, and he's just picked these three films out, and he's gone, right, this one, The Deer Hunter, this one, Taxi Driver, and he's gone on this one here, The Godfather. And he went, come on, let's go and watch these. And we spent the weekend watching them films. I think we watched them all twice as well. That's a heavy weekend. It was a heavy weekend. But it, I just remember, like, just being engrossed in these yeah. films and just these characters and this world. And I think that's where my love for the whole kind of beautiful, classic American film started, you know what I mean? And he just turned to me at the end of it and he went, no, look, I'm not saying you never will, but, you know, that's acting. That's <laughs> that's proper movie making. And I was like, yeah, that is not it. Dad? So you can imagine when I came out of that room, you yeah. I found the missus first. I found Annie, and the next person I found is my dad. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And the joy in the sound on his voice yeah. when I went, "Dad, you never guess what?" That's amazing. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. Do you know what I mean?
5: And so, I guess it's probably fair to say Robert De Niro is one of your heroes. Of course. And yeah. you're suddenly getting a cuddle from him. Yeah. What's a Robert De Niro cuddle like?
1: Yeah, it was lovely. It was just a nice
5: normal <laughs> cuddle. It was a nice little cuddle, yeah. It was very soft and gentle. Yeah, it was really lovely. And it's the meeting of the two Al Capones as well, which is... Well, that's really
1: what... That's, that was one of the things as well while we're sitting there and we're chatting and stuff. And Marty went there, you know, you two have got something in common. You both played Al Capone. I was like... <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me and he went, yeah, yeah, you were great. You were really good. You were great. And I was like, oh my God, I can't quite <laughs> believe it. You know, as as a, as a young lad growing up, and like I've explained to you, you know, that's where my passion came from, to be an actor. You never in your wildest dreams, imagine, for one, you're going to meet these people. Because, you know, even if you want to be an actor and, you know, that's what I want to do. And, you know, my my head was always, let's hope I'll be able to do enough to be able to make a living out of it. You know what I mean? I never had these illusions of grandeur and I never wanted to be famous or nothing like that. That was not what what I was in it for. It's not, never what I have been in it for. Um, it was just for the passion and the love of the craft and the art of it, but you know, and you know your head flies off into little Willy Wonka factory kind of fantasies occasionally. Do you know what I mean? But you never ever think that you're going to meet these people, let alone be sat across a table having a conversation. Then, let alone be turning up on set with them yeah. to actually act. You do, It's just beyond beyond the comprehensions. You know what I mean? So for me to be in that, that position and that situation, it was mind-blowing, it really was. But it was beautiful because the three of them, you know, I spent a good little bit of time with Joe and Joe was wonderful. I didn't spend much time filming with him, but we, we talked quite a bit and I had some food with him and, I, you know, he he had his chef with him and he made me some food and stuff like was that. Does he have his own chef? Wait, well, he awesome. did, yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he can and it was just really lovely and he's a really wonderful sweet man but the other two I got to spend a lot more time with and, and to actually work with them do you know what I mean and what I found with all of them right across the board Marty obviously I've got a relationship with Marty but what I found right across the board was there was no egos at all not even a hint do you know what I mean not even a hint of any kind of ego they treated everyone with respect on the set everyone the sound man the props designer the costume designers they treated everybody on the set with exactly the same and i just found that a beautiful quality from two wonderful amazing actors who were also really beautiful humble men you know what i mean
2: Mm.
1: they're my heroes and people say you should never meet your heroes in this case that, that wasn't the, that wasn't what happened yeah. it was just amazing
5: you get to antagonise your heroes as well in this film because yeah. um, I mean talking of ego one person who does have an ego is Tony Pro your character the giant ego so entertaining And <laughs> yeah. um, the scene has gone up online recently of uh, you turning up late to a meeting with uh, Jimmy Hoffa played by Al Pacino and it is yeah. such a great scene. You're you're wearing what can only be described as power shorts.
1: Yes, shorts and shirt combo. <laughs> it's an amazing
5: and, set yeah. piece. Like talk us it through really preparing for that and and what was that like?
1: It must have been electric. Kind of yeah, way. it was. You know, I'd sh- I'd, that was actually my final day. That scene. That was my last day of shooting, and we shot all the other stuff, and it had all gone brilliant. And and it was just, it was just such a great scene. Anyway, on paper. And I'd already kind of developed this character, and you know, I'd done a lot of research, I'd watched some documentaries, so I had, I felt comfortable now with the character completely. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I'd kind of, with the stuff I'd seen, I'd, uh, this footage of Tony Pro at a rally when he's uh, re elected. For the teamsters, and and Marty literally shot that shot for shot in the piece that, that we see. So I had a basis for his accent and everything, and I, you know, I so I had I had a good solid understanding of it. And Sandy Powell, our magnificent costume designer, she found these great shirt and shorts combo. So it's all you know, pineapples on it. It's pineapples <laughs> on it. It's amazing. I've actually got one. Amazing, you get uh, it. Yeah, she gave me one. She <laughs> gave me one, and I've got it in our wards over home because it's just so brilliant. And it was that you know because he was a very flamboyant, gregarious man. He did photo shoots with magazines. It's his own theme tune in in the film. I mean, you get a little Tony Pro song. Yeah, yeah, da, da, da Tony Pro. Da. Yeah, yeah. Gotta <laughs> make that your ringtone. But, but this was all that. This was all from the footage. Do you know what I mean? That had happened at that rally. But also a lot of the research I've done on him, he was a very gregarious character. He was very flamboyant and he, you know, he liked his colours and his clothes. He, he was making a statement practically all the time, do you know what I mean? And he wasn't this kind of hideaway gangster. He was like, look at me, this is what I'm doing, do you know what I mean? This is this is how I'm living. And to hell with the rest he is more or less, do you know what I mean? So that scene, we, we, we get into it and we're starting to do it a little bit and it's getting a bit free and stuff. And then, And it's all that kind of, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and Marty went to me, you know. And I, and but, but but on about the fifth or sixth take I'm in it and I, and I look across, and, and Robert De Niro's across from me, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm in the same with for the split second. My head went, I'm in the same with Robert De Niro, and he doesn't say anything. Shit, <laughs> that's all and then he went, Right, play with it now. And I went, Can I can I play with it? He went, Yeah, play with it. Come on, I've really lifted up now. And I was like, Okay, so then we're doing it again. And he's doing a 10, 15, and then I just turned and I just looked at him and I just went, What do you think, Frank? And it's he just looked at me and, it, and it's this little smile because he's laughing at the argument between the two of them and, and, it, and he just goes, 12 and a half. And to me, that's, the, that's my favourite line of that scene, do you know what <laughs> I mean? And that was a little improvised moment. And then I get to go up and walk off because I think, oh, I've had enough of this. And then it was like, no, sit down, sit down, come on, sit down. And it was that, it, that's what I'm saying because they're such generous actors. They made me feel comfortable to be able to really play with it, you know what I mean? And it was like, well, come on and bring... You know, you 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 lead the scene for a little bit and we'll swap it round between us, do you know what I mean? And it was that and it's that that's what Marty does. He gives you that confidence, exactly the same as Shane Meadows. He gives you that confidence to be able to play. Um and there's no right and there's no wrong, do you know what I mean? You find the scene and the truth within the scene as a as a collective. So there's no, yeah. there's no egos at all on a set like that.
5: One of my favourite things about the Irishman is you've got these incredibly powerful guys arguing sometimes about really silly, petty small, things. petty things. Yeah. And in this case, you guys are arguing about how late you can be to meet someone and for it yeah. to be okay. So what is, the opinions differ in the scene, as you, <laughs> what's your definitive
1: answer? How late can you be to meet someone and it's still all right? I agree, traffic, do you know what I mean? You have to take <laughs> traffic. traffic into account. You have to take a lot of things into account. I don't think anyone intentionally means to turn up late, it's, you know, you, there's a little bit of, there's a bit of shifting. You're quite lenient then. You're like, half an hour. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, as long as you call me. <laughs> yeah, if you tell me you're going to be half an hour, then that's sound. Okay.
5: And you are at the tail end of a pretty incredible year. You've had a lot of stuff coming out. The Virtues, uh, you were amazing yeah. in Line of Duty, um, you are in Rocketman, which has made a lot of money. A, it was a great bit of fun. Irishman, and now you've got A Christmas Carol coming out as well. So. Yeah. It's, you've done a lot. You've had a packed... Um...
1: Well, it, it yeah, it looks like I'm not giving anyone else a chance, don't it? but it's it's a case of these things were filmed a long time ago. Do you know what I mean? Most of them. I think The Irishman was maybe two years ago. So it, it's during that time period, it's not like I did one, then and one, then and one, then one. It's just so happens sometimes that that's how they kind of dropped. Do you know what I mean? That's the release dates of them all. Because The Virtues, we did that two years ago well, no, over two years ago, do you know what I mean? Because I went from the Virtues, then I had a little bit of time, and then I went to the Irishman. So, it's yeah, it's it's been, you know, I am I feel really blessed and really honoured to be able to, to do what I do. But you're right, yeah, right now, you know, I'm kind of riding my way. Feels special, like yeah. a special time. It, yeah, it really does. It feels like all that hard work and all that dedication and all that support I've had from my mother and my father and my family, do you know what I mean? All my aunties and my uncles and my friends and... There was one point, you know, a good while ago, me and I, me and I were counting the pennies for beans on toast. You know what I mean? So it's it's that it's that hard work and that dedication and that and that I suppose somewhere inside that little belief that you know to keep striving and keep going. And without my support network that I've had around me, I'd be nowhere. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I can't do this on my own. Mm-hmm. It's, it's impossible. I, I, I know that. You know what I mean? And I I've never I've never took that in in any way, but. Just the support network that's that's allowed me to be able to flourish and, and do what I love to do is 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 to me it's you know, there's no words for it really.
5: It's great. Um and it's worked out. Also exciting is uh, Greyhound next year, which Tom Hanks wrote as well as yeah. appears in, which yeah. is really interesting. He doesn't write many scripts. No. So what can you say about that? Like is that a personal thing for him?
1: Yeah, it was. He's he's got a huge passion for that period and also the war, do you know what I mean? Both First and Second World War. He's, it's kind of like his little thing, do you know what I mean? And it was just a really great script, a really fantastic script based on a book, uh, The Good Shepherd, not the film by De Niro, but this was based on a book, The Good Shepherd, about his convoy that goes across and it's taking goods to the Allies and they come under attack from the submarines, from the German submarines. And it's just this man... It's his first time he's ever been out on a ship. It's the first time he's been the captain of a ship, and it's and it's the pressure that he feels and how he copes with it, and how he deals with it. You know what I mean? Under this immense pressure, it was brilliant to do, and again, you know, it was such an honor to to work with Tom, because he's a, he's a he really is a wonderful man. Do you know, and, that, and that's that's it. You know, all these all these people who are huge stars, and if you want for a better phrase or whatever, do you know, these huge stars, but but again, no ego. She's treated everyone exactly the same no knew everyone's name which is very pleasant and really lovely and that's i kind of you know you learn a lot from people like that and i really admire them kind of qualities you know what i mean within a human being not as an actor but mm. just as a human being he's so funny as well <laughs> he's so funny on set you know what i mean and he's and he's great and then when it comes to the work bang he just switches on he's right in there you got a Robert De Niro cuddle. Did you also get a Tom
5: Hanks cuddle at I've some a, point?
1: Yeah, I got a massive Tom Hanks cuddle. <laughs> You're collecting cuddle, yeah. them. No, I've got a really good picture, actually, where he's giving me a big sloppy kiss on the, <laughs> on the cheek. Uh, but again, you see, what was really lovely about that as well, and I'm sure I can say this now, I'm sure no one would mind, I, I put myself on tape, and I think the studio kind of turned around and went, well, we want a name, do you know what I mean? And he was like, I want him. I want him to play, which... When you know you've got someone like that who's gone to bat for you, it's a bit big, do you know what I mean? That's and amazing. when you turn up on set, you're like, All right, mate. and he's like, "I oh, ate, hey, buddy." <laughs> and he and he used to because he heard me on the phone uh, quite a bit uh, to my my missus and my kids because I'd Facetime them when I'd be in a makeup chair because of the time difference and stuff like that. And he, because I say I love you loads, and it, it, that, he just he he do a really. Mm, not so brilliant but an all right impression a COD impression and he'd be sitting (laughs) on the end of the chain he'd go I love you loads love you loads Uh, and it was just it was just wonderful and just finally
5: uh, we were chatting just before this about Christmas Carol, this new adaptation of uh, uh, yeah. Stephen Knight's behind it. It's got a great cast. What can we expect from you in that? And uh, will you wear shorts in that one as well?
1: No, I don't wear shorts, but I wear a lot of chains. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's re- it's great. It's a fantastic script, and it's a wonderful director, Nick Murphy, who I've worked with a few times now. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a really great piece. Uh, Guy Pearce is is amazing. What a what a wonderfully talented actor. And it's really dark. It's it sticks kind of more to the novel. Um And there's also some added bits that Steve and, and Nick came up with. And, and Tom Hardy is exec producer, do you know what I mean? And Tom had a major input into into the development of the story and the characters and everything. And Andy Serkis is, is mesmerising in it. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it could be something quite special, if I'm honest, do you know what I mean? And it's a joy and an honour to be a part of it, and especially to be in a classic like this, do you know what I mean? And not have to speak with a plum in my mouth you don't have to all the time, mm. you know what I mean? There's real people out there as well. So for me to be able to be a part of something like that was, was a wonderful experience. And I play I play Jacob Marley. So it's kind of he's a little bit my interpretation, what I was going for him was a little bit of a twisted Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. All right. So it's Clarence but it's just a little bit darker than Clarence, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Looking forward to it. I can't wait to see you rattling some chains.
5: Um, Yeah, yeah, I'll rattle a good chain. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much, Stephen. It's been a (laughs) pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: All right, it's time for reviews, so let's start with The Irishman. So Robert De Niro plays Frank Sheehan, who's brought in to work for the Mafia as a young man and soon becomes a fixer of all sorts of problems, and indeed people for them, uh, whether that's icing opponents for Joe Pesci's Russell Buffalino or protecting mob associate Jimmy Hoffa, who's played by Al Pacino. Now, obviously, it's a shame that Martin Scorsese couldn't get a better cast together, (sighs) but apart from that, what did we think of The Irishman? Nick has just joined us. Hello, Nick.
5: Hello, guys. Uh, Ray Romano don't forget Ray Romano he's great in this
0: he is great in this yes he plays a lawyer for Frank who we meet fairly early on
5: yeah I mean this cast is amazing Stephen Graham is terrific as well as Tony Pro who's kind of the film's Pesci from Goodfellas (laughs) but yeah it's all about uh, Pacino, De Niro and Pesci uh, it's it's a great film. I I really liked it. It's three and a half hours long. You mm-hmm. probably know that by now. You need to like block out a day to watch it, <laughs> but it's great. It's uh it's Scorsese doing another gangster movie, but a very mm. different kind of one. It's it's uh, melancholy, and it's the mm. this old character looking back at his life. Um, it'll make you feel pretty sad. But it's it's terrific. It's yeah. it's it's got energy, and then it really slows down in the second. Where half, where think.
3: do you land on the de aging? Is it convincing?
0: I would say there's two scenes near the beginning where I mean it's a lot of de aging because we start in 1950. So you know you've got uh, Robert De Niro brought back to you know really sort of just started the army, just fought in World War Two. In fact, there's one flashback to World War Two mm. that you've maybe seen, which does look a little bit Call of the Duty. The screenshots
3: look a bit Welcome to Marwan.
0: Yeah, the, the, those <laughs> those two scenes, and it's literally two scenes. Those are a little bit, whoa, they've done some CG work on him. Everything else in the film, though, I thought was pretty great, I have to say. And how yeah.
5: prevalent is the de-aging? There's a lot of it. I mean, yeah. Pacino is de-aged in every single uh, scene that really? he's in. yeah. Because, or, or
0: aged up in a couple, right? The, in-
5: uh, De Niro is aged up. Mm-hmm. Pacino is not because Hoffa kind of disappears. Um, spoiler. spoiler. Well, I, mean, I think Famously. Famously disappeared. <laughs> uh, I didn't write about that in my feature because I wasn't sure if it was a spoiler or not. But Yes. But yeah, De Niro, I mean, the, the, the World War II stuff is much more pre- prevalent in the book, uh, mm. I Heard You Paint Houses, that it's based on. So they've used very little of that. And in the movie, it's such a quick little scene. Yeah. It doesn't really... No, it doesn't. But it's, it, what's weird is he doesn't look like De Niro did at, the, at those ages. He looks like a different character. Like a de-aged version of current De Niro as opposed to young De Niro. Yeah. 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 So yeah. he's more kind of hulking and a bit more fuggish. But mm. it kind of works, I think. Mm. And, and especially because the whole movie is kind of done as a kind of flashback, this guy looking back. Yeah. Um, I think it works really nicely.
0: The one thing I find a little bit off-putting at first, and I'm looking forward to seeing this again to sort of see if I settle into it, is that there's almost two framing devices here. You've got very old De Niro looking back over his life and sort of talking about it to an unnamed person, uh, unseen person in some way. And then you also have this flashback where he's on a car journey with Pesci's character in their later lives, but not quite as late on. And there's, there's, so there's almost a double layer of flashing back, which I find a little bit... It was it was easy to follow. I, I, I could tell which bits I was in at any one point. I think in that sense, it's a brilliantly made film. You always know where you are, even though it hops around through time. But I was a bit like, I don't quite get the rationale for this. And I think I only got it at the very end because the film... Went to a place which I thought was really powerful and really interesting, and much more silent Scorsese than Goodfellas mm. Scorsese, if you like. Absolutely. But maybe it's only in retrospect that that's worked. So, so I've kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it, seeing it again because I did find that quite off-putting at first. But I'm, I'm, I think it might work brilliantly when I watch again.
5: Yeah, I don't want to give anything away, but the last hour kind of it's really interesting. It, it's jumping around like Casino and Goodfellas mm. a lot in the first half, and then that final hour really slows down and it's not real time, but. but it's kind of over a day yeah, and it's it's an incredibly moving kind of piece of cinema and it's it really boils down to Pacino and De Niro's characters and the 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 relationship between those two guys and it's actually quite an intimate story even Mm. though it's a huge epic on some levels
2: yeah
5: it's about these these two characters and it really kind of hit me hard like um it's it's really kind of moving and, yeah. and melancholy.
0: Yeah, it very much is, and I think that the relationship between Pesci and Daenerys characters as well is is really interesting. It's almost a father son relationship with with Pesci as the sort of the wise old mentor. But more wise guy, old mentor than you know, perhaps a, a an entirely positive influence. So, Good. thank you, thank you, quite <laughs> part of that. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a fascinating relationships between the two. And and again, you, you have, as you said, Ray Romano in there. You have Harvey Keitel, almost blink as you'll miss him, and you'll miss him in there. Stephen Graham showing up in a fabulous pair of shorts, as the I mentioned. Power shorts. Power shorts. We
5: discussed those <laughs> shorts. They are the best shorts of the year on the screen.
0: They are pretty um, great.
5: Yeah, he's terrific. It's, it's interesting because Pesci is, is doing something completely the opposite of what he he mm-hmm. did, has done with Scorsese before where he's this very quiet, internal, kind of simmering guy yeah. and, and just really good at conveying the power of this character. Yeah. And he's kind of scary, but, but yeah, there's great stuff with De Niro's daughter as well. Yes. And the fact that she doesn't kind of warm to either her father or to Pesci's character, yeah. and but loves Hoffa. She
0: loves Hoffa a lot more. She's played by Lucy Galena, I think, as a, mm-hmm. as a young girl, and then obviously by Anna Paquin uh, in, in adulthood. I mean, let's be honest, I'm just going to say this, the women's roles in this film are just not, um, with, the, with the exception of really Lucy's version of, of Peggy. They're there as reactors, they're there as, as judges almost in the background. They are not characters particularly in their own right, but... Um, but I've just said it. There we we'll go. We'll move on. It's a man's story. He's telling a man's it's, story. That's what it and is.
5: And I, I think there's a real point to it as well. though. There a I, I point. think I think this mm. guy's life is, is kind of bereft of love and warmth. Mm. And he's made choices that, you know, really hurt him later on. And one of them is that he just doesn't let any of that intimacy into his life. So he keeps all the women in his life at a real remove. So you're right that they're, they're not great roles. Mm. But I think that's kind of almost deliberate, and um,
0: yeah. But it is women as a symbol. But that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I, I get what he's going for, and, and he's Martin Scorsese, so he kind of gets past. So <laughs> fine. It's not um, cinema, Helen. <laughs> is it cinema though if you've got too many women in it? You know? Is it
3: cinema or if it's on Netflix? I don't know. Anyway.
0: Anyway, let's not have that You sold either.
3: me. You sold me. I'm go- hopefully going to go and see this tonight because mm-hmm. I have egregiously not. That is appalling. Tonight into tomorrow morning. Yes, (laughs) yes. I will be seeing it over the weekend, literally across the whole weekend. Yes,
0: it is 209 minutes, but it does earn those minutes in a way that other films perhaps Mm. do not. So, um, So, yeah, five stars, unsurprisingly, for Scorsese's The Irishman. So next we have Driven, which sees Jason Sudeikis play a petty smuggler, Jim Hoffman, who is caught by the FBI and put in witness protection. Ellen, who's played by Judy Greer, and they find themselves living across the road from John DeLorean, the legendary car executive and designer, who's played by Lee Pace. He's about to launch the DeLorean car company. He has big, big plans. But the, their lives collide, let's say, in a way that proves rather disastrous. Helen. Yes.
3: So at what point in the film do they go back in time?
0: Well, sadly, it's not that kind of DeLorean, so they haven't actually put on the flex capacitor yet. But that's one of the issues in the film Is is... Uh, DeLorean's ideas for this car and how they get changed and kind of watered down, how he compromises his vision a little bit. But it's more about the lengths that he goes to, kind of egged on by Jason Statham's character in order to get the funding he needs to make his car a reality and in order to launch this new company. Because he's been... So if, if you don't know much about John DeLorean, I highly recommend reading up about him because he is a fascinating... Weird character. He designed some of the most successful cars ever for like Ford. Did he? And yeah, yeah, he was he was an incredibly successful car designer and executive at, at two of the big American car companies. I think it was Ford and Chrysler. And then he went out on his own to to develop his own self titled company, and he held all these grand grand schemes for how the DeLorean was going to be extraordinary and amazing, and then didn't quite work. I I don't think that's a spoiler.
3: And when he was was he was like, right, I want to do a car. It's be family car, but the doors are going to be like wings.
0: I mean, yeah, not a million miles, you know. But you just
3: can't take it over 88 miles an hour. (laughs) Otherwise, obviously, that could cause temporal problems. It will go into temporal problems.
0: Yeah. yeah. But no, it's really good um, performances in this. If you do know much about the history, maybe you won't be as surprised as I was at the way this story goes. Because I was taken aback at the places this story goes. And then I looked them up, and most of them are absolutely true. Which is quite stunning this stuff. This is a stranger than
3: fiction type scenario. It <laughs> kind of is a
0: stranger than fiction type scenario. Now, when we get to next week, we're going to be talking about Le Mans 66 yes, as well. Yes, which I
3: saw last night. Okay, Because I so, watched a film.
0: That's one, James. <laughs> that's well done. But um, but it is in a really interesting uh, time for car movies because both of these films are about cars, but they're yeah. not, you know, boring driving movies. And
3: car designers. And there's lots of the, 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 sort of the industry, like, car, car-ness.
0: Yeah, and it's weird because <laughs> I almost feel like it's a way of saying goodbye to America's obsession with cars because mm. they have to grow past that in the, in the near future. So it's kind of a fascinating little bit of history. But yeah, really good performance from Lee Pace as DeLorean in particular. And then this really bizarrely pleasant blank performance from Jason Statham. And I don't mean that as a criticism because I think that's exactly what he's going for. But his character is the kind of chancer who isn't a fast talker. He's not going to mm. dazzle you with wit. He just sort of sits there and smiles at you and encourages your worst instincts until you kind of do something that helps him and he does lie with absolute facility and impunity but he doesn't bluster at you he just sort of sits there and and smiles like an idiot and then you kind of underestimate him and he and he kind of takes you on from there it also has cory Stoll in a succession of wigs um as a, people as need agent. to
3: learn not to put wigs on cory Stoll. He's,
0: his bald head is so good it's like
3: why would you never put a wig on patrick stewart no you well, definitely wouldn't did. put one on you well yes they did but they shouldn't but like cory Stoll, like when when he was in the strain it's like what are you doing to this then, famously bald man
0: he's such a handsome bald man so like he just doesn't need it Anyway, so he's in it as well. It's a really good cast, and it's getting a very, very limited release, but if it is on near you, I do recommend checking it out. And Driven got three stars, so that is a recommendation. Also out this week is Midway, of course, which, to our shame, neither of us have seen, so we thought we'd call Chris and bring him in on this. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hi, Chris. You're live, except not, on the Empire podcast.
4: Fucking hell. I mean, sorry. Hello.
0: Hello. Can you tell us about Midway, please?
4: Midway, yes, Helen, I am uh, absolutely delighted to tell you about Midway. Uh, I feel a little bit bad because, obviously, I had a good time talking to Roland Emmerich. I don't want to say anything bad about his film, but uh, but what I will say about Midway is that...
0: I'm sorry, Chris, we're losing you, we're losing you. I'm
4: into a, a, a tunnel, going into a tunnel, Helen.
0: Didn't you say you were at home this morning, Chris? Uh,
4: there's definitely a tunnel here, and um, hang on, just... And that's what I think of
0: midway. I'm so glad we called you for this review, Chris. That's been enormously helpful. Always happy to... Oh, tunnel again. Tunnel. Hello. Hello. Well, that Wow.
3: Was... We lost Chris midway, that call. So, Helen... It's not very good.
0: Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Bye. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's not very good. There's some shooty, shooty plane bits. It takes place in the Pacific and... That's it.
0: That's it. I think that's all you need to know there.
3: What did we give it? Two stars?
0: So we gave that two stars. Wow. And then the other film that we brought Nick down to talk about, because to my shame I haven't seen it yet, is The Good Liar, which stars the pretty toothsome pairing of Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen. What can you tell us about this?
5: You kind of can't go wrong with those two, making a film about conning. This is one of those movies that's quite hard to talk about plot-wise because it is just twist after twist. It's kind of based on a, a bit of an airport uh, thriller novel and it's got some truly ludicrous twists in it i enjoyed it um i we gave it three stars and i'm i'm in the free star camp okay. it's it's very silly um <laughs> ian mckellen is is kind of delightful as this very dastardly dodgy guy who is tricking you know it's it's revealed pretty early on that he's you know he's conning people for money and his latest mark is uh, the character played by helen mirren
0: betty isn't it
5: betty mcleish Mm-hmm. and uh, the thing that really stuck in my mind from watching this film is they go on a date to watching Glorious Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I enjoyed that. One of my reservations about this film is that Helen Mirren doesn't really get much to do because she's kind of the mark, right. and you know, it, because it's Helen Mirren, you know that there's going to be more to it You kind of
0: want her to, yeah.
5: So you're kind of sitting there waiting for her to get some stuff to do, and mm-hmm. She does. But it takes a while to get there. Okay. Um I also enjoyed Carson from Downton Abbey.
0: Oh right. Yeah. What's, his, what's Mr.
5: Carson? What's, his, what's the Jim Carter. Mm. Jim Carter. Jim Carter of Mars. I've been watching a lot of Downton Abbey recently <laughs> and it was delightful to watch him. He's kind of um Ian McKellen's uh con man partner. Amazing. And it was just I could watch many films about those two. Yeah. Getting up to getting up to schemes. So yeah, a bit silly, a bit sort of disposable, but it's just really fun watching these actors.
0: And Russell Tovey as well. He plays her grandson, is that right?
5: Right. And okay. he's suspicious of okay. McKellen, as, Fair. as as one should be. Yeah. I mean, he, he looks extremely suspicious in this film, so... <laughs> <laughs> There we go. But um, yeah, three stars.
0: So three stars then for The Good Liar. So not a bad week for film that there. Um, two three-star movies. Sadly, a two-star for Midway. But of course, five stars for Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. And if you act quick, you can see it on the big screen before it debuts on Netflix mm. in a couple of weeks. It's not
3: showing everywhere. It's only select cinemas, but uh, they are scattered around the place. You yeah. can find them.
0: So a pretty good week then for movies in the cinema.
3: Indeed it is. It is cinema. It It is cinema. cinema. (laughs) It is literally cinema. (laughs)
0: <laughs> thank goodness for that
3: Scorsese approves are we going now are we nearly done I think we're, we're nearly, nearly done, done yeah. well before we go and oh taking boy. advantage of the fact that I don't know Chris isn't here I'd like to mention the Pilot TV podcast and on this Never week's show Helen on mm-hmm. this week's show we are tackling the BBC's The War of the Worlds Definitely, article there being quite important I'm excited Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's loads of fun uh, we are tackling Gold Digger the new show with Ben Barnes and Julia Ormond uh, The Man in the High Castle final season Ooh. we're reviewing that as well and of course the crown. No. Uh, yeah, we're getting down with her, Madge. Uh, Olivia <laughs> Coleman, of course. Uh- you're in, in the role Getting Down, down with, with Her, her Mad yeah that's the kind of vernacular reverence you can expect from the Pilot TV podcast um, yeah it should be
0: Down With Her Mad it should be
3: a lot of fun uh, we spoke to Alfred Woodard and Jason Momoa last week about masturbatory prayer interludes so that was special and worth listening to
0: thanks for bringing um, that one back
3: excellent but one thing I should mention a lot of people like uh, when 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 you speak to when we did our tour when we did our podcast tour when we went round the nation Helen do you remember when we went out we I met do. We met our listeners and loved them all uh, a few of the people that I may or may not have pinned against the wall and harangued for not listening to the Pilot TV podcast mentioned that their main reason for not doing so is because they didn't want me to spoil their TV shows. Mm. And while clearly just by talking about them I naturally spoil your enjoyment of TV shows, there is a strict no-spoiler policy on the Pilot TV podcast. We do not spoil... Your shows. There is a section at the end called the Banshee mm-hmm. segment, but that's for very old shows. But yes, no spoilers. Okay. Do not panic. Okay. You are in safe hands here. But
0: you are a spoiler in your, yeah, in your like, own yeah. Obviously, you have being. to listen to
3: me, and that will spoil yeah. many, many things in your life. Mm-hmm. But but that aside, there are no plot spoilers. Okay.
0: And once again, please do check out some of our spoiler specials. There is now a whole array of them. Yes, up on where the we spoil
3: loads of films. So many films. And it's plephora. all there
0: for you. Okay, so that is now it for this week's Empire Podcast, but join us next week for more film-related fun when we're going to be joined by a directorial double whammy, Paul Feig, oh. talking about Last Christmas. M. That's right. Save it. And, talking about Le Man 66, James Mangold. G. There you go. Wow. OMG, indeed. What a lineup. But until then... Thank you for joining us. It's goodbye from Nick. Thank you for joining us.
3: It has been a delight.
0: It's goodbye from James.
3: Goodbye. I'll be back. Unlike the Terminator franchise.
0: (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to reanimate George Romero to explain why reanimating dead actors is a terrible idea.
5: (laughs) I'm telling CG James Dean that.
0: Tell him. He won't mind. Thanks all. Bye.